0: Well, friends, would you turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9, and reading again verse 35. We read, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. I want to begin by asking you a question. How many of you have heard of Nate Saint? I won't ask for a show of hands, you might want to know, but how many of you have heard of Nate Saint? Nate Saint was a missionary and pilot who went to Ecuador in the 1950s with his friends Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming and Roger Uderian they had a burden to reach the Huaroni people of Ecuador with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus. Upon arriving at Palm Beach, they were met by a group of Huaroni men who speared them to death. Nate Saint was 32, Roger Uderian was 31, Jim Elliott and Ed McCully were 28, and Pete Fleming was 27. Now, Jim Elliot is perhaps the most famous of them, and he is famous for his statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But listen to these equally impressive words from the Saint. He writes, People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives, and when the bubble is burst they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they have wasted. Well, today we're continuing our studies in Matthew chapters 8 to 10. And really from the end of Matthew 9 all the way through Matthew chapter 10, we see Jesus encouraging his followers when it comes to mission, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing and spreading the gospel. And we're going to be looking at these verses under two headings today. The compassion And then the command. The compassion and the command. First we have the compassion. Look at verses 35 and 36. Here Matthew focuses on the compassion that Jesus felt. Before going any further, let's consider the context. Uh, Jesus has been teaching and healing around his hometown of Capernaum. But ever since verse 27, he has been trying to get away. He has been wanting to press on with his kingdom mission. However, there has been constant interruptions as he's attempted to do so. In verses 27 to 31, he's interrupted by two blind men whom he heals. Then in verses 32 to 34, he's interrupted by some people who bring a mute man whom he also heals. And now in verse 35, Matthew draws our attention to Jesus' comprehensive mission. He begins by telling us where Jesus went. Look at the beginning of verse 35. He writes that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. In Matthew chapter four, uh, Matthew notes that Jesus went throughout all the region of Galilee. And here in Matthew nine, he notes that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He doesn't hide away from people, and neither does he sit at home waiting for people to come to him. Jesus goes into the cities, he goes into the villages, he goes to where the people are, he seeks to reach as many people as he possibly can. And Matthew tells us what Jesus did in those cities and villages. Look again at verse 35, he taught in their synagogues. The synagogues were the places where the scriptures were expounded and explained Jesus goes through the synagogues expounding and explaining the scriptures with an authority that was unparalleled, an authority that was unmatched, an authority that was unique. He also proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He went about proclaiming, heralding a message of good news, a gospel, and the message that he proclaimed was the kingdom, the saving reign of God that he had come to bring. And he healed every disease and every affliction. There was no illness that was beyond Jesus. The blind were receiving their sight. The lame were walking. The lepers were being cleansed. The deaf were heeding, The dead were being raised. And all of these healings were pointers and proofs that Jesus had come to bring the kingdom, that Jesus had come to undo the work of Satan, that Jesus had come to undo the fall that had erupted back in Genesis chapter 3. Then in verse 36, Matthew moves away from focusing on Jesus' comprehensive mission to focusing on Jesus as the compassionate Messiah. He starts at the beginning of verse 36 by telling us what Jesus felt. He sees the crowds who are coming to him from all the towns and villages. And as he sees the crowds, he has compassion on them. That word compassion is a very strong word. It it means an emotion that comes from the guts. An emotion that can come even from the bowels. It comes from the very deepest, innermost places. Here's Jesus, this physically fit man, this fully grown man, this emotionally stable man. And yet when he sees the crowds who are coming to him, he bursts into tears. He's moved. And Matthew tells us why Jesus felt that way. Look again at verse 36. He sees that the crowds are harassed and helpless. They're harassed. They're troubled, they're wearied, they're burdened, they're helpless, they're, they're unable to do anything about the situation in which they find themselves. And Jesus sees that the crowds are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, we find prophets and priests and kings being anointed and appointed by God to lead his people, to lead his flock, to shepherd them. But as Jesus looks at the crowds, he sees people who are lacking a shepherd. The prophet John is confined to prison. The priesthood has become compromised. It's made up of men who are only in it for themselves, only seeing what they can gain from it, only seeing what they can profit from it. Meanwhile, the king over the region, Herod, is a corrupt puppet of the Roman Empire. The people are in need of a shepherd. They're in need of an anointed and appointed leader. They're in need of a Messiah. And Jesus' compassionate heart goes out to them. Uh, friends, as we consider these verses, we've been given a glimpse of the compassion of Jesus. That is the key point that Matthew is making at this stage. As we have studied Matthew chapters 8 to 9 over the last few weeks, the last few months, we have been con- confronted with the power of Jesus again and again and again. We've seen his power over disease, his power over demons, his power over disorder, even his power over death. But here Matthew draws the attention away from the power of Jesus to the pity of Jesus, the the compassion of Jesus. And that, friends, is so important for us to hear this morning. One of the best books that I've read over the last uh, couple of years is Day Ordland's Gentle and Lowly, the Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And in it he writes, the Son of God clothed himself with humanity and will never unclothe himself. He became a man and he always will be. This is the significance of the doctrine of Christ's ascension. He went into heaven with the very body reflecting his full humanity that was raised out of the tomb. He goes on to write, One implication of this truth of Christ's permanent humanity is that when we see the feeling and the passions and the affections of the incarnate Christ towards sinners and sufferers as given to us in the four Gospels, we are seeing who Jesus is for us today. In other words, the compassionate Jesus whom we meet in Matthew chapter 9 is the same compassionate Jesus who sits on heaven's throne today. And so if you're a Christian, here is a word of encouragement for you. Jesus looks at you, friend, with compassion. Jesus cares about you. His great heart goes out to you. You might be suffering. You might be sinning. You might be struggling. You might be bruised. You might be broken. You might even be backslidden. And Jesus looks at you, friend, not with cold indifference, but with incomparable compassion. And this is good news for you, friend, if you are here today and you are not yet a Christian. Jesus looks at you, friend, yes, he looks at you today with compassion. He cares about you. His great heart goes out to you. You might have been resisting him. You might have been refusing him. You might even have been ridiculing him in the company of friends or family and Jesus looks at you not with cold indifference but with incomparable compassion. This morning these verses are urging us, they are calling us not to hesitate, not to hold back from running to this Jesus. He is the one who is full of compassion. Do you believe that? My Christian friend, do you believe that Jesus looks at you today with compassion? You've backslidden this week. Do you believe that he looks at you with compassion? Or you've never given him much thought up until now. You've resisted him up until now. And do you believe that he looks at you with compassion? But we move from the compassion to the command. Look at verses 37 to 38. And here Matthew focuses on the command that Jesus gives. In verse 37, Matthew draws our attention to Jesus highlighting the need for laborers. He speaks to his disciples at the beginning of verse 37. The disciples are those who are following Jesus. In the book of Matthew, we find this inner circle of 12 disciples. We'll focus more on them in chapter 10. But we also have this wider circle, this outer circle of people who are listening to what Jesus is saying, watching what Jesus is doing. And here we find Jesus speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to both groups of people, the the inner circle and the outer circle. And he speaks to them about an abundant Harvest. Look at verse 37 again. In the Old Testament, the image of a harvest is often used as a metaphor for God's judgment. But Jesus turns the metaphor on its head. He sees the crowds who are coming to him from all the cities and villages. He sees that the crowds are harassed and helpless. He sees that the crowds are like sheep without a shepherd. And as far as Jesus is concerned, they are people who are ripe and ready to be gathered into his kingdom. There are people who are ripe and ready to be brought under the saving reign of God. There is a plentiful harvest. There is an abundant harvest just just waiting to be brought in. But there is a problem. The harvest is plentiful. Harvest is abundant. But look at verse 37. There's an absence of workers. As Jesus goes through all the cities and villages, he sees so many people who are wanting something more than the world can offer. As Jesus goes through all the cities and villages, he sees so many people who are looking for something or someone to fill the God-shaped hole in their lives. As Jesus goes through the cities and villages, he sees so many people who are ripe and ready to be brought into God's kingdom, brought under the saving rule of God. But there's not enough laborers going to them with the gospel. There's not enough labourers who are going out to gather them in. In fact, there is only one worker, there is only one labourer and that is Jesus himself. And if those who are currently ripe and ready for the kingdom aren't gathered in, Jesus is saying, they will eventually rot and go to ruin. They'll be lost. I know a lot of you, well, not a lot of you, but some of you are sheep farmers, but some of you might also Uh, work with crops you know yourselves if the crops aren't gathered in in time they'll rot they'll go to ruin and, and that's what Jesus is saying here there there is a harvest a harvest of people just ripe and ready to be brought into the kingdom but but if they're left if they're not engaged with they'll rot and go to ruin Then in verse 38, Matthew goes on to draw our attention to Jesus, highlighting the need for prayer to address that situation, that problem. Jesus begins by telling the disciples how they should pray. Look at the beginning of verse 38. He tells them to pray earnestly. A few years ago, Kevin DeYoung wrote an article called Earnest Prayer, where he said, our prayer is often dull because there is so little earnestness in it. We pray as if no one is listening. We pray as if nothing will happen. We pray as if nothing were at stake. We pray without aim. We pray without vigor. We pray without passion. We pray without purpose. We pray to pass the time rather than pull down blessings from heaven. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I don't want you to be praying dull prayers, I don't want you to be praying dead prayers. I want you to be praying desperate prayers. I want you to be praying devoted prayers. Better to pray for five minutes with desperation than to drone on for 30 minutes and nothing's really going on. Jesus continues by telling his disciples whom they should pray to. Look again at verse 38. They are to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. The one to whom the disciples are praying is their Father in heaven. The God of heaven and earth, the ruler of all creation. And as the God of heaven and earth, as the ruler of all creation, he is the Lord of the harvest. The harvest belongs to him. And Jesus concludes by telling the disciples not only how they should pray, not only who they should pray to, but also what they should pray for. Look at the very end of verse 38. They are to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus has noted that the harvest is abundant, it's plentiful. He has also noted that the the workers are absent, they are few. In chapter 10, he's going to commission the disciples to go into the harvest field. He'll commission them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. But here he simply commands them to pray that labourers would go into the harvest. That labourers would go to the lost sheep of Israel. And he commands his disciples to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out, literally thrust out, such labourers into his harvest. And you know this yourselves, friends, that when God throws you out, you can't say no. Jesus is saying, ask the Lord of the harvest to throw out, to send out labourers into the harvest. Well, friends, as we're reading these verses, as we're considering these verses, we're being confronted with the need for workers in the harvest field. That is the need that Jesus sees and that he speaks to his disciples about. He sees harassed and helpless crowds of men and women who are like sheep without a shepherd and he sees them as being a harvest who are ripe and ready to be gathered into the kingdom, ripe and ready to be brought under the saving rule of God. But he also sees that there's not enough people to gather them in. There is a need for workers. There is a need for laborers. There is a need for grafters for the gospel. And this, friends, is the same truth that Jesus still sees and speaks to us about from his word. There are so many harassed and helpless people who are going through life like sheep without a shepherd, even in Stornoway. So many people who are just living for a relationship. So many people who are living for a paycheck or a career. So many people who are living for a Friday night. So many people who are looking for hope. So many people who are looking for purpose. So many people who are ripe and ready to be gathered into the kingdom. Ripe and ready to be brought under the saving reign of God. But they haven't heard the gospel No one's spoken to them about Jesus, at least not for a very long time. No one has told them about the forgiveness, about the freedom, about the full salvation that is found in Jesus. There is a need for workers. There's a need for labourers. There's a need for grafters, for the gospel. Can I ask you, friend, are you willing to be one of them? Do you ever get that feeling? I sometimes get it. I've, I was uh, told by someone in our congregation this morning that I seem to spend an awful lot of time in the Bar of Mance. And we all know who lives over in the Bar of Mance, my good friend Myrtle Campbell. And when I come back from the Barvis Mance, I drive through town and I just see all these, these lights from houses. And I think, how many of these people are going near a church? How many of these people have embraced the gospel? Are we willing to go out to them? But as we consider these verses, we're also being confronted not just with the need for workers in the harvest, but also warriors in prayer. That is the need that Jesus sees and speaks to his disciples about. He sees the harassed and helpless crowds who are like sheep without a shepherd. And he sees them as being a harvest who are ripe and ready to be gathered into the kingdom, ripe and ready to be brought under the saving rule of God, but he sees that there's not enough people to gather them in. There's a need for workers, there's a need for labourers, there's a need for grafters for the gospel. And he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out, to thrust out such workers, such labourers, such grafters of the gospel to gather them in. And that is the need that Jesus still deep that Jesus still sees and speaks to us about from his word. There's so many harassed and helpless people, so many people like sheep without a shepherd, so many people who are just ripe and ready to be gathered into the kingdom, brought under God's saving rule, but they haven't heard the gospel. They've been presented with churchianity but not Christianity. They've been presented with religious rules, but not this relentless redeemer, this rescuer, this Jesus. There's a need for workers. There's a need for labourers. There's a need for grafters for the gospel. And these verses are calling on us to pray for such labourers, such workers, such grafters for the gospel. You know, friends, one of the things that I love about our congregation is that this is a praying congregation. This is a congregation made up of men and women who call on the Lord. I was really struck about about that just a few days ago. I was going on a pastoral visit one evening and I drove past the house of one of our members and I saw that there were five cars belonging to another five of our members and I knew that they were meeting that night for prayer. And that really did my heart good, to know that there are people who are praying in our congregation during the week, not just on a Tuesday, not just on a Thursday, not just on a Saturday, but also in their own homes, in their own time, with their own friends from the congregation. And I just want to encourage you as you're praying. I want to encourage you to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers, would send out labourers, would send out grafters for the gospel into his harvest field. I want to encourage you to pray this for yourself. That the Lord of the harvest would send you out into his harvest field. That wherever you might find yourself... Even if you are confined to your own home, that you would be seeking to gather people in, that if the carer is coming in, that if family are coming in, that whoever is coming in, that you would be trying to gather them into the kingdom. I want to encourage you to pray this for your spouse. Pray this for your parents. Pray this for your children. Pray this for our congregation, that they would be grafters for the gospel. Many of you will be praying that your children pass their exams. Will you be praying that they are grafters for the gospel? Many of you are praying for your spouses. Are you praying that they would be grafters for the gospel? Many of you might even be praying for a spouse in years to come. Are you praying that they would be a grafter for the gospel? The harvest, friends, is plentiful. Some people say that Stornway has too many churches. How many people are going to church in Stornway today? Go on do a breakdown. I don't think there's even a thousand people going to church in Stornway today. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Will you pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers from our homes and from our congregation into the fields of Stornoway, the fields of Tongue, the fields of Point, the fields of the West Side, the fields of loss, the fields of Harris and wherever else he might see fit.